What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 19 of the Chatted Up podcast. Have a really great episode for you guys this week, especially because I'm in such a great mood. Now, why am I in such a great mood, do you ask? Well, that's because my uh, Michigan State Spartan basketball team uh, just beat the uh, Michigan Wolverines. And not only did they beat them, but they beat them in Ann Arbor. So, I'm in a pretty good mood right now. So uh, if you're a, a Spartan fan out there, uh, go green, go white. And uh, if you're not, well, sucks to be you. <laughs> so uh, if this is your first time listening into the podcast, uh, my name is Shooter. And this podcast is about all things Upper Peninsula of Michigan. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back and uh, thank you for sticking with me. Uh, speaking of the Spartans, this week I'm interviewing a Spartan by the name of Dave Nyberg. Uh, but before we jump into all that, we've got to do our segments. I definitely don't want to neglect those. Uh, I've been getting a lot of great feedback from you guys um, on these segments, so I'm going to just kind of keep uh, running with them. So we'll start things off with you, you, youper news. That's right, you heard that correctly. You, you, youper news, as I'm calling it. Uh, again, if this is your first time listening in, uh, Youper News is headlines I've seen over the last two weeks that, uh, that I feel are unique to the UP, or maybe they're just interesting or entertaining. Uh, so my first headline for Youper News uh, is uh, this past weekend was the 26th annual uh, Trinary Outhouse Classic, which is out, uh, Outhouse Races. If you've never been there, uh, it's basically a huge party on the main street in Trinary, Michigan. Uh, the participants, basically what they do is they build outhouses and they put them on skis. And a lot of times they decorate them or there's a theme. Uh, the participants usually wear costumes and such too. And one by one, they basically push their outhouse down the main street in Trinary as fast as they they can. Um, <clears throat> I believe there's a cash prize for the top two finishers as far as the fastest times. Uh, but they also, I think, have some prizes for some other different categories as well. But really, at the end of the day, it's a huge event and a really big party every year uh, in the hometown of the legendary Trinary Toast. So a uh, big tip of the cap to all the organizers and everybody involved in that because that's definitely a very unique and uh, special event for the Upper Peninsula. Um, my second headline for Youper News is one that we've pretty much all been talking about for the past month. And that's this damn snow. Holy wah. Uh, Hickey Luntis certainly has been dancing up a storm for the month of February. Uh, as of this past Thursday, the U.S. National Weather Service in Marquette was reporting on Facebook that 67.5 inches of snow had fallen for the month of February. And, you know, currently there's a blizzard that's whipping around outside of my house. And uh, that easily has dropped probably another foot of snow um, so we're definitely uh, well into the 70-plus inches of snow. Now, that report from Thursday, they also said that we are 42 inches above normal, and this is the second snowiest February that they have on record. The title for the snowiest belongs to the year 2002, where we got absolutely drilled with snow. Uh, that February, we got 91.9 inches of snow. You know, I'm, I'm a bit torn about all this snow because I know that it's, really important for the economy of a lot of towns in the UP and I know that they're having really good years because there's a lot of snowmobile traffic and skiers and snowboarders and winter enthusiasts so that's all awesome but at the same time all of this snow has just been draining as hell for me I'm not gonna lie um, 
you know, don't get me wrong, I love to snowshoe and ice fish and get outside as much as I can this time of year, but it feels like each storm that we've had lately has dropped, like, at least a freaking foot of snow, and to be honest with you, I'm running out of places to put it or throw it with my snowblower, so... I don't know, I just feel like I'm constantly shoveling off my deck and my stairs and how I even had to get up and shovel off my roof. I mean, if somebody out there knows Hinky Lunta or has a connection or anything like that, reach out to him and let him know that enough is enough as far as I'm concerned, as far as all of this snow. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next segment, though, uh, which is uh, This Day in Uper History. Uh, that's brought to you by our good friends over at Pasty.com and the uh, Pasty Central Facebook page. So without further ado, here is This Day in Uper History. Pasty Central Day in History, February 25th. Inventor Samuel Colt received the patent for his revolver on this day in 1836 was also the year the state of Michigan agreed to give up the Toledo Strip in exchange for the Upper Peninsula. Born on this day in 1873, legendary tenor Enrico Caruso, who would one day find his way to the Upper Peninsula to perform in the Calumet Theater. Finally, this day in 1940 brought the first televised professional hockey game as the New York Rangers beat the Montreal Canadiens 6-2 at Madison Square Garden. It was a sport which marked its beginning 38 years earlier in Michigan's Copper Country with the Portage Lake Professional Ice Hockey Team in 1902. Pasty Central, Day in History, February 25th. Thanks again to the folks over at Pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. That's uh, P-A-S-T-Y.com. And once again, that was uh, This Day in Uper History. All right, now it's time for this week's interview, which I mentioned before is with my friend Dave Nyberg. Dave is a super interesting guy, uh, and I met him quite a few years back with my involvement in 40 Below, which is a local young professionals organization, which now they are known as uh, Connect Marquette. They've recently done some rebranding. And, um, you know, those of you loyal listeners will remember my very first interview was with Bugsy Sailor. And Bugsy has this knack for kind of always being a part of these big things that are going on around the UP and and especially Marquette County. And Dave is the exact same, but with Dave, it's more from the like public policy and inner working standpoint. So I like to say that Dave is basically Bugsy meets bureaucracy <laughs> in a way. That's that's the way I would describe Dave. Um, but. I'll stop blabbing on about it, and I'll let our interview do the talking. So without further ado, let's chat it up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a good friend of mine and also a a loyal listener to the podcast, Mr. Dave Nyberg. Dave, thank you for coming on the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's it's really cool to be on the podcast. I'm a big fan of what you're doing here. So, Thank you. Thank you. So we'll just jump right into things here. So you grew up in the Gladstone area, correct? Right. Okay. Now, were you born in the UP or did you move there at a young age? It's or? a dirty little secret. Dirty. <laughs> but I, re- you remember, I remember you telling me yeah. that one time, so yeah. that's why I'm bringing it up. It's not, it's right. not dirty. So but. I should, I'll come back to like 
so I can go back to the you know the the, the third generation Uper piece of uh, my Gladstone story. But right, yeah, I, I grew up in Gladstone. My parents actually like they, my dad and mom kind of did what I did when I turned eighteen. It's like I got to get out of here and do some different things, and yeah. they moved down. My dad worked at a place in uh, Howell, and okay. he was a um, worked for a place called Diamond Chrome, and they were very young. My mom had me at nineteen years old and very young, and um, my dad ended up. Um, deciding, you know, a couple years later, he wanted to buy into the family business, which is a small business in Gladstone. Sure. And so we moved back up there. I moved to Gladstone when I was eight. And um, and some of my friends that I made my first week. And, um, yeah, so I graduated Gladstone High School in 2000. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny story. Like, my, you know, my great-grandfather was the town blacksmith. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's how more, it's like Gladstone was a new town. And sure. everybody kind of had their trade. And. You know, um, my grandpa then grew up in Gladstone, went away and, and served in World War II and um, became a tradesman and um, uh, worked at uh, Harnish Figure in Escanaba and ended up starting this manufacturing, this lure manufacturing company. I was going to say, buddies. you, you kind of glossed over it at first. You said, oh, this family business. I was like, this, this business is a pretty big deal. I'll let you continue to explain this lure yeah, business. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, I mean... Um, it started out as a hobby. These guys liked to fish for walleye and little bait and knock, right? Okay. And so it was my grandpa and his brother, Carl, and their two buddies, the Applegren brothers and some other friends, I'm sure. And my grandpa, he, you know, he was really good with metals and made dyes and he knew how to work with machines. He was a mechanic in the U.S. Navy. And so, okay. and um, he went to the Dunwoody Institute in Minneapolis to fine tune his trade skills after the war. And, um, yeah, so he they started, they were making their own fishing lures, and they caught fish. And it's actually modeled after an old um, Scandinavian jig lure. Um, okay. And so they, they, yeah, so they started making fishing lures. They found out what worked, and they started a company, and it's it's still there since 1955. Now my dad's a partner in the company with his cousin, Anders. Sure. And the, But the claim to fame, the thing that everybody has heard of is the Swedish pimple. Right, I guess I should say the name. It's The name of the company is Baden & Ock Lure Company, but they're famous. One of the famous products is the Swedish pimple. Everybody knows the Swedish. <laughs> if you're a fisherman, you know what a Swedish pimple is. Right, Swedish pimple, the Dujigger, the Vingla. And pimple actually is kind of a funny name, right? And that's actually a big part of their branding. I mean, it's just the name sticks. Everybody knows what a Swedish pimple is. And pimple is the Swedish verb to jig. Right. So I'll have to share with you after uh, the interview, there's a great interview of my grandpa with CNBC, like back in the economic downturn, they were doing stories on businesses that were thriving during the downturn. And they told, I actually never knew it. And I saw it on TV and I was like, that's cool. It's a cool That story. is very interesting. Yeah. yeah, you'll definitely have to share that with yeah. me. So what was life like for you though, growing up in Gladstone in you know, the late 80s, early 90s? It was really great. You know, actually some of the episodes that I remember listening to early on when I started becoming a fan of Chatted Up um, reminded me a lot of your stories that you'd talk about with your friends, just kind of freedom, riding your bikes everywhere. We actually, my buddy Craig and Bob and I and Craig's brother Tater, um, we invented this game called Three Man Baseball. So we had our own rules and you knew where a home run was and you you knew where a double was and it was... It was, you know, a pitcher, catcher, and a batter, and right. we had our teams, and we played legit sandlot baseball until they um, somebody bought the lot and put a house oh. on top of it. <laughs> so then we moved the sandlot yeah. to Craig's backyard. There you and go. 
So, I mean, typical kid stuff, 90s kid. We'd ride our bikes up the cow path, the bluff, and we'd, you know, we'd get in lots of trouble. We'd go down to the lake and go swimming in the summertime. We'd do a lot of fishing. Was Tater's name really Tater? Or is that a Tater? Nickname? No, Tater. <laughs> His name's Brian LeClaire. Okay. Everybody's <laughs> all about nicknames. That's a, that's, I feel like that's a right? UP thing. Everybody's right? got nicknames. Yeah, but. so Brian, Craig LeClaire is the, the name of my friend. I should say when I moved to, when we moved to Gladstone, you know, it's kind of terrifying to move to a new town when you're eight years old. Right. I distinctly remember Craig and his white hair knocking on my door. Uh, you know, I think the first or second day I lived in Gladstone, he lived a block away. We've been best friends ever since. And his older brother is Brian, and they're both super awesome, talented athletes. And Tater especially is a good baseball pitcher. Um, went and played college ball and stuff. But, yeah, Tater, I th- he got the nickname, I think, at, like, you know, at infancy from right. his parents. So Now, were you around the the business at all growing up? I mean, I know you said your dad's now a partner, but yeah. like as you were growing up there, were you kind of in and out and doing stuff around the business? Ab- absolutely. I was always in there. I was always hanging out and talking to the... It's kind of split into like the manufacturing floor, you know, where they're making the product. Sure. Everything with the Swedish Pimple starts from a piece of brass to a finished product, and there's like, I don't even know what, 20 steps or so. Sure. And then there's like the, the packaging area, which is different and there's mostly women working there and they they sticker the lures um package the lures um, okay put the hooks on them and i'd i'd go i'd, I'd toggle back and forth between talking to the ladies and many of them i knew some of them were my aunts craig's mom karen was oh, okay there. there you go and um but then yeah it was my I, my first let's say my first job was a paper out but then when you're i think the law at the time was when you're 14 you weren't allowed to work right yeah. for a paycheck but you could work if it was your parents company so at yep. 14 i remember i couldn't I was I was um, bending do-jiggers at the do-jigger bender. <laughs> <laughs> and as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, um, when Governor Snyder was, we were doing something completely different at Bessie yeah. Forest Products, and I said, my dad wants to, it was around his birthday, I said, my dad wants to give you some, he's a fisherman, he wants to give you some lures for your birthday. He's like, why aren't we, can't be that far from here, you're in Gladstone. And yeah. I said, and you, we ended up going to the shop, and I was oh, able okay. to show the governor where, I, where my first real job was. It was kind of cool. So, yeah, but, and then when I turned a little bit older, um, I got on the buffing wheel. Okay. Buffed a lot of knuckles. Uh, sure. Buffing pimples. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so I was I'm, on the shop a lot. I'm glad that you mentioned Governor Snyder because we're definitely, I want to get to kind of, I want to talk about the path that kind of led you to working for Governor Snyder because it's a really interesting story. I mean, sure. you headed down to Michigan State. And you studied law. Was it always your plan to kind of go into law when you headed down to Michigan State? Or I mean, I guess how yeah. did that? How did that? Not come really. Out? I grew up a Michigan fan. Um, yeah. I had a surgery at a young age at University of Michigan Hospital, so I mm-hmm. kind of naturally grew up rooting for the Wolverines until I went down for something in high school as a leadership conference or something. It was my sophomore year, and I was at Michigan State. I absolutely fell in love with Michigan State's campus. Mm-hmm. Right then and there, I decided I was going to go there. Uh, I wanted to get out of Gladstone, experience the world a little bit. Sure. And I was an undecided, I was an undecided major. Yeah. I uh, didn't really know um, what I wanted to do, and I, I kind of figured out. I, I thought maybe I wanted to go to law school as a business major at first. Yeah. And then I changed, and... Um, yeah, I ended up going to law school, Michigan State College of Laws, but I did it part-time in the evenings, and I worked full-time. Okay. And the relationships I built kind of through my career in Lansing um, led me to, you know, a bunch of interesting opportunities. I lobbied for a conservation organization. I worked for actually a guy who was lived from Michigan, who lived in Gladstone, Steve Mitchell. Okay. Has a, has a consulting firm in East Lansing. I worked for him throughout college and yeah. um, worked in the state house for house speaker in the legislature. and. Those experiences kind of really reaffirmed my interest in public policy and okay. specifically related to natural resources and law, uh, public policy law. Um, 
So, yeah, I decided to go to law school, but I didn't really know for sure. I, I liked the jobs that I had, so I wanted to go part-time. Yeah. And um, so it took me a little bit longer to finish than usual. Sure. So it's funny. I'm glad that you mentioned working for the House Speaker because that was one of the things that I had listed here. It was Craig Craig DeRoche that you right. worked for, right? Yep, Speaker DeRoche. Yeah. yeah. So how did how did that whole thing come about? I mean, that's a pretty prestigious thing to kind of be a part of. Did I mean? You can you walk it's, me through that? Yeah, a little bit? it start. It's all about relationships. So Steve, actually, I was I was looking for an internship, like my sophomore year in college, to get some experience. I just I was really interested in public policy and the legislative process. And Steve introduced me to Craig. He's a freshman legislator at the time, just got elected. Sure. And he took me on as an intern. Actually, my first day was his third day in office. Oh and wow! <laughs> now knowing kind of what I know about the legislative process, like how green he was, but I yeah. just was just in awe to be able to work at the Capitol for him. He's a cool guy. And um, I ended up working on his leadership campaign. He decided he was going to run. It's, it's an interesting process in running for leadership when you're in the legislature. And Craig decided to run for speaker. And so I did a lot of campaigning, and I did a lot of work to get people elected um, that year. And uh, I interned for him for two years. And ultimately, he got elected speaker by his colleagues in the Michigan House, and he asked me to be on his staff, which is pretty rare for a 21-year-old kid to have a job in the speaker's office. That's what I'm saying. It's a pretty big deal. That's what, you know. And I didn't really fully appreciate at the time how I did, but I didn't quite fully, right? And I, I worked for, um, I worked as a legislative assistant. So I was the guy who, and again, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I kind of felt like a paper pusher, but I was the kid that took all of the legislative ideas in and I was kind of the liaison between all of the policy experts in the house and the lobbyists and the legislative director for the speaker. So I was kind of the, the connector sure. of ideas that came in the door and kept track of all of the bill ideas as they got drafted called bluebacks. They turn into, um, they get sent over to the legislative service bureau, gets drafted into real bills and they get introduced. And um, So I, I was really able to drink through the fire hose of the legislative process. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds that like time. It, and, that's and a that, lot going on. And, and that kind of it reaffirmed my interest in what I was doing, and but also kind of reaffirmed that I needed to get more education, and um, I didn't want to be a legislative staffer forever, so mm-hmm. I decided that kind of the intersection of public policy and law is where I wanted to spend my career, and I went to law school, Michigan State, so. Go green. Go white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I guess then my question for you is, is how did, how did, becoming a part of Governor Snyder's team really kind of come into focus for you? I mean, I know that you moved kind of back up this way around like 2011, and I don't want to fast forward yeah, through yeah. your story or anything. Uh, but no, for sure. No, I mean, it was, um, we lost the majority in the House uh, in 2016, and that's a that's a tough time for um uh, or 2006, rather. That's a tough time. You know, we lose a lot of staff, and I was kind of reevaluating. It was a toxic time in politics at the time, too. I kind of realized around that time how much I really hated politics, but <laughs> I liked public policy. Right. And I didn't really know how I identified politically. I was kind of an in-betweener, an independent. And, yeah. Uh, um, I knew that I was interested in natural resources, conservation issues, so I ended up... Um, getting an opportunity to go work for somebody who I looked up to. Uh, he's a longtime lobbyist and um, owned a firm called Muchmore Harrington Smalley at the time. Okay. And he was taking over a conservation organization called Michigan United Conservation Clubs. They've been around since the 1930s. Yeah. Um, they were revamping their focus and their legislative efforts. So he, I, I had an opportunity to go work as their legislative affair man, affairs manager under Dennis, who was a, kind of a mentor and somebody I looked up to at the time, and friends of Steve and Mitchell, who I also worked for. And so I went to work for Dennis at MUCC and really gained an appreciation for that process. And 
as I finished law school, I, throughout that time, I decided I just wanted to move back to the UP. I, I kind of was giving up career for place, moved back up here. Um, I had to study for the bar exam anyway. Tracy, my wife, Tracy graduated vet school at the same sure. time, and we, uh, we decided to give it a go. She had gotten a job offer up here in Marquette area, offered Dr. Tim mm-hmm. as a veterinarian, and um, we decided that um, we're going to take that risk. And so I quit my job, came up here, studied for the bar, and... Um, I got a phone call from the governor's office not too long after that from my old boss, Dennis, who is now sure. chief of staff for the governor, and yeah. asked me to come on board the Snyder administration. So I did it. It was a great opportunity. Yeah. I mean, talk about, well, I mean, you mentioned it's all about relationships and the people that you get to meet and the people that you know. You basically uproot and you head up to Scandia and you buy a farm, basically. And <laughs> right. And then you get a phone call and ask, you know, they ask you if you want to work for Governor Snyder's team. I mean, that's pretty serendipitous in a, sure. in a way. Yeah. But again, it just goes back to, you know, the connections that you make and what you do. So can you talk a little bit about then what you were doing while you were working for Governor Snyder? I mean, technically you were the director of the Northern Michigan right, office, right? Right. right. So yeah, uh, most governors, at least dating back to Governor Blanchard, have had a a UP office or a Northern Michigan office. Governor Snyder, when he took office, decided that he was going to have a the role. It was going to be based in Marquette, but it kind of it's a it's a customer service role, but also kind of a public policy role for issues that are particular to Northern Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, I did some work below the bridge from kind of like sure. Knuckles North, right, like Traverse City to yeah. Alpena yep. and the whole UP. And um, so I did that. I started in 2012, and then in 2014, I was asked to um, take an extra role in the governor's legal division yeah. to work on natural resource matters, but especially um, serving as the governor's tribal liaison. So we have 12 tribal governments in Michigan. So yep. working with tribal governors, kind of as the governor's diplomat mm-hmm. and working with them on their treaty rights and um, you know their relationships with state departments, um, gaming compacts, you sure. know everything that the state of Michigan has a diplomatic relationship uh, on with tribal governments. So I did that. Um, Kind of a dual role, and uh, did that until I left uh, left last year in 2018. Sure. What would you say was the biggest challenge of that role? I mean, you're wearing kind of a lot of hats. Number one, I mean, if I'm just looking at it from like outsider looking in. Sure. But I mean, what would you say was like the most difficult part of of, of managing all that? Honest time here, right? Um, yeah. I, the biggest challenge, honestly, was. And I don't want this to sound political because Rick Snyder's a pretty he he's a pretty independent person. He's not you know he ran before he was a politician, which is sure. why I really liked him. And I can tell a story about how I first actually met him when I was working at MUCC, which is kind of a unique one to the UP. But well, that's we'll come, what we're here we'll for. Come back yeah, to we'll that. come back to him. <clears throat> but um, I really um, I told you I kind of got jaded by the political process, mm-hmm. and I was kind of apathetic and. Um, before I ever knew I'd have an opportunity to work for Rick, I really was inspired by his way of kind of the relentless positive action mantra of governing Michigan without pol- you know, focusing on politics and partisanship. And um, that's carried forward now. Now that he's left office, he's focused on kind of civility and politics. Yeah. So coming back to your question, the real hard part with that prelude really was <clears throat> people sort of have a they have in their mind an idea of who you are or who your boss is. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, so people kind of have a guard up when you're when you're having a conversation with them, or sometimes maybe sizing you up, or seeing like if, if you're really if your motivation is really sincere. And that was a big burden to overcome. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you, especially in certain communities in the UP. Um, 
with tribal governments, that, I, interestingly enough, ended up becoming, like, it's something I really miss. I really miss working with the tribal leaders and their sure. staff. It was an incredibly rewarding and, honor, like, completely honored to have that job. But it was really hard. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about very serious issues that um, sometimes the tribes that have fundamental disagreements with the state on. And, you know, there's a, di- there's a diplomacy factor there where you get along with who you're working with, but there's serious matters at hand. And that was hard at first, especially working on behalf of the governor, because I think that some people, in, you know, whether it was working with a business leader or a community leader or a government leader in the UP or Traverse City or a tribal leader or their staff, they kind of thought they knew who Governor Snyder was and who I was. And then until you build a trust relationship with them, you're really not going to get anywhere in a meaningful way. And right. so that was that was really the hardest part. And I'm only one guy. You know, it's a lot of mileage throughout the UP and Northern Lower. So yeah, was, I'd say so. It was hard. It was hard. And that's the other thing, being away from my, my daughters, Hazel and Harriet and Tracy, yeah. and being on the road a lot, that was another hard part of the job. But I, I, I think I'll reflect back in many years and, you know, fondly on that job and yeah. really grateful that I had it, had the opportunity for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, you bring up a great point of it's a lot of mileage, it's a lot of hats to wear. I mean, so that's kind of like your nine to five. And then on the backside of that, you know, you, you're active, you were at the time active in the 40 below, yeah. the young professionals are now it's not 40 below Marquette connect. So I'll, I'll drop a plug there. Connect um, Marquette. Yeah, connect yeah. Marquette. That's it. Um, <laughs> You know, that was where I met you mm-hmm. was actually right. was through 40 Below. And, um, you know, so between being active in that and I know you were doing some other stuff, weren't you doing some stuff for Trout Unlimited as well around that time kind of? As, yeah. As like their Midwest coordinator yeah. too? So I mean, in that buffer time when I was, um, when I was before I worked for the governor, I'd started a LLC called Third Coast Strategies. And really that was just a way for me. I had people calling me asking me to do work for them mm-hmm. kind of in that, you know, government affairs, quasi-legal capacity, and yeah. so I did some contract work for Trout Unlimited National, and I did some trout, uh, contract work for National Wildlife Federation, and um, then Plum Creek Timber, which is now Weyerhaeuser, bought them up, um, and Michigan United Conservation Club. So, yeah, I was doing a lot of work um, with those organizations. Um, that lasted about six months, <laughs> you know, and it was a lot of fun. Right. But, I, you know, I did that uh, for a short period of time while I was trying to figure out what's next. You can only juggle so many, you know, <laughs> at one time. But right. and, and yet, in all of that stuff, you also find, found time to be a Stormy Cromer model as well. So <laughs> that came a little bit later. <laughs> a little bit later, but uh, you know, talk about I, talk about a weird. Yeah, this is it's, it's such a how strange did that thing. come about? Shout out to Gina. You know, Gina's been on the podcast, so I got to give some love to Stormy Cromer. Yeah, Gina and Bob are just obviously, as you know, just incredible people. Bob Jackler yeah. and Gina Thorson, and um, I gotten to know them in various respects over the years. And and we just had a um, sidebar here from Lizzie Corser at the Oradoc, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. So, um, apologize for the pause. Um, yeah, we had had um, a lot of good conversations over the years and worked sure. on a couple of different projects, including Copper Peak. And um, so I, it was just a weird. Gina had reached out and said, "Hey, we like to." We like to use in our advertisements people that actually use our products, and, you know, real people. And um, we'd like to know if you and Tracy and the girls would like to be a part of um, our you know, brand campaign for the next you know, winter season. So we decided to do it. it was, yeah, it was, int- it was fun. So. <laughs> That's great. So, all right. So Governor Snyder's term comes to an end. 
And so then you kind of transition into this role over at Northern. Can you kind of walk me through how, how that all came about? I mean, was it another yeah. situation of knowing somebody or having that connection made? Or, I mean, I guess, how did that all come about? A little bit. Um, you know, so in my role in working, that was the coolest. That was another really cool thing about working for the governor is you just, every day is different, and you're always working with different partners. Yeah, I can and I had, imagine. I had had the chance to work with, with the folks at Northern and President Erickson mm-hmm. and his team, uh, Deanna and others, um, on a variety of projects. And, um, of course, we're all members of the same community here, but... Um, Specifically, the Education Access Network, as that was getting built out. Yeah. Northern had gotten their license from the FCC to provide educational broadband throughout the UP. And so I had worked with another friend and colleague who was CEO of the MEDC at the time, Steve Arwood, to say, hey, this is really an innovative way to provide broadband service to, for ed, in an educational way. And yeah. we were able to broker an investment partnership that MEDC invested in, the EAN build-out, to make yep. it able to go throughout the UP. And so that was one project. <clears throat> the Forensic Research Outstor- Outdoor Station um, land acquisition project I worked with Deanna on and DNR. Um, and, and there were others. But I, I had built kind of a working relationship with sure. Northern. And, um, and it had been made aware to me that Northern was... It's part of its kind of strategic plan, developing an office for corporate engagement, which is really meant to be kind of a holistic approach to the way that the university is developing and sustaining its partnerships with yeah. businesses and institu- other institutions. Um, uh, so, so they have kind of a front door policy of who they're working with, and mm-hmm. they can make it more efficient and beneficial for them and, and also for the university. And um, I decided to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful that I was had the opportunity to come work at Northern. It's a real exciting place to be right now. Absolutely, and so that's it all it came yeah. about. But it wasn't like a, hey, you know, sure. It wasn't. It wasn't like the other career opportunities I had had. So. Yeah, understandable. But, but all comes back to relationships, as, yeah. as you pointed out. So, to take a step back a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about working with Northern prior to actually working for Northern and, you know, kind of brokering or kind of being that connection to getting the whole uh, internet connection thing that we have going on. Would you say that was kind of one of your highlights for working with Governor Snyder? What would you say was really kind of like your favorite part of, what was it, what was the, like the coolest part or I should say your highlight for, for your time spent working for him? Honestly, <clears throat> there were several, and it's hard to pick one. That w- The EAN project was pretty cool because yeah. you're talking about like a 9.7, 9.4, I can't remember, million-dollar investment yeah. aggregate between Northern and MEDC. There were a lot of cool projects to work on. Um, one that really comes back to probably my favorite, and I'm, I might go back to that story that I was going to tell you about just to kind of provide yeah, some added absolutely. context. So. Um, when I first met, um, when I worked at Michigan United Conservation Clubs, they we had, they had forty thousand members and you know sportsmen, hook and bullet advocacy organization. They had Michigan Outdoors magazine, Michigan Outdoors television, mm-hmm. and so when I was their legislative guy, we had developed this um, nonpartisan way of saying, "Hey, hunters and anglers should know what their public." Um, their candidates for public office, how they stand on certain issues that impact hunters and anglers and natural resource conservation in Michigan. So we would give, at that time, we had invited all of the candidates for governor an opportunity to come on camera and answer some standard questions. And I'll never forget, um, I didn't really know who was going to vote for at the time. Like I mentioned, I was kind of apathetic about the political process at the time. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, 
a time in Michigan legislative political history that was not a fun time, yeah. at least for independents like me. Um, but Rick had come in, and I'll never forget, because he was kind of this like outsider, right? He had come from the business community, nobody really knew who he was, and he yeah. was polling at like 2.5%, 3% at the time. And he came in and he sat down, and I actually didn't, I didn't expect him to do that well in this interview about hunting and fishing issues. Yeah. And um, every other candidate kind of gave the answers you would expect, you know. Yeah. Um, and they did a good job, commendable job. But um, the governor was asked about what his perspective was on national resources management in Michigan. And he made it almost all about the UP, and he told the story of, if you think about Michigan's economy from the starting of Michigan as a state and talking about the UP, you know, kind of the phase of resource extraction and settlement <clears throat> and even all the way back to the fur bears and trappers and then yeah. resource extraction, the mining right. and the logging. And then kind of went through this other phase of manufacturing where the UP and our natural resources played such a critical role in, you know, um, transportation of products. Sure. But he also acknowledged, like, the legacy of pollution and... And the impact because we didn't have laws in place to do that. <clears throat> yeah, and he kind of gave this vision of Michigan in the UP, even in Northern Michigan, being a big part of kind of a, a, a new economy for Michigan and the work ethic. And that just really stuck with me because I guess I didn't really expect him to. First of all, I was impressed with his historical context. Yeah, I was absolutely. Earning bonus points with me and talking about the UP, and so that really stuck with me. And when I when I worked for the governor, that really never changed. He he and Sue, the first lady really loved the UP and they would come up here often they were here a lot in a professional capacity but also in their own personal time and when the governor would meet with business leaders there was a common theme among some of the local business leaders in the region that would say hey we're we're kind of sick of the parochial attitude of you know Iron Mountain's out for Iron Mountain and Escanaba's out for Escanaba and we need to have one voice how do we do this and the governor kind of told the story of like you know when I came to back to Michigan from Gateway I had the same problem in Ann Arbor, and he had worked with some colleagues to establish Ann Arbor, what is now Ann Arbor Spark, sure. which is really kind of a regionally focused uh, advocacy organization that promotes economic development. And he said, I'll help you with that. If, I'll take my governor hat on, put my Rick Snyder hat on if you guys want to work hard at this. And so they did. And so you had some of the key uh, employers, key CEOs, as well as the universities in the region kind of banding together and kind of putting down their their own personal, you know, sure. regional interest. And yeah. um, and so what ended up coming out of that was what's now Invest UP. Oh, and okay. So, like, you know, Bob Mahaney at, at Viridia Group and Steve Hicks at Longyear and Kelly George at MBank and Manistique and um, UP Health Systems, UPHP, and yeah. um, Champion Inc. down in Iron Mountain, yeah. right? Yeah. The Verrettes. Yeah. So <clears throat> you have this kind of major group of influencers banding together to say, let's all promote the UP, let's promote our value proposition to the outside world better. Let's invest in that. Let's focus on talent enhancement strategies. Let's focus on business advancement strategies and, and, um, and business attraction. And so there, <clears throat> that organization was formed, and I had an opportunity to have a role in that. And that was Probably my, as I reflect back, probably the, I think one of the most fun and most significant projects that I had an opportunity to work on. But it all comes back not to me. It comes back to, you know, having the opportunity to work for a governor who really had a vested interest in the region's future and was willing to invest his time and energy and expertise in with business leaders that had a like mind, uh, like minded perspective on the UP's opportunities. Sure. So. 
the theme that's kind of come up a few times throughout your story is um, conservation and the outdoors and a love of all of that. So now you're actually also kind of doing something, working with the DNR a little bit, which is pretty exciting. You want to talk a little bit about what you're doing for, for that? Sure. I'm trying not to be distracted by the, the poetry reading. That's I know, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to be quiet. So We're at the Ordak Brewing, and they're reading. It's like a poetry reading, apparently, that we didn't know about. Um, <laughs> so, no, yeah, it... Um, it's great that we have these cultural experiences right. here to offer culture. <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, um, it, it's kind of a full circle thing to the NRC because when I worked at MUCC, I was more on the legislative side. But um, it all comes back to what decisions are we making in Michigan that's in the best interest of our resource and how the resource gives back to people who recreate. In this particular case, the Natural Resources Commission has... Um, a challenge by the citizens of Michigan to manage our resources based on science, which was really a big thing back in the 90s that the, the voters of Michigan pushed through through a proposal. And um, it really takes politics out of the out of the natural resource management process. Um, it's a gubernatorial com- appointed commission, um, yeah. and I had been asked if I would be interested in serving. Um, and of course, I said yes. I was a little bit concerned about the commitments that might come with that. And right. Again, um, the political issues associated with natural resources management policy, even though it really should be science-based, there's a lot of social science that comes with that. Um, Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. (laughs) So, um, but I very enthusiastically, um, you know, um, said yes, that I'd be honored to serve. And and, um, so I I was appointed in in October, had my first meeting in October, and I swore in, um, uh, took my oath of office. Mm -hmm. And... um, fulfilled a, uh, a remaining term that was expiring at the end of the year and then a new term starting this year. So okay. um, I'm new. I'm uh, one of the rookies on the NRC and uh, currently the only Upper Peninsula uh, appointee to the commission, which is also kind of daunting. I think there really ought to be at least two UP commissioners. Absolutely. And, um, you know, J.R. Richardson um, just termed off the commission. He had served three terms, which was kind of rare. Governor appointed him to a third term, which is kind of against pol- standard policy of having kind of a two-term limit yeah. just because J.R. was so good. Okay. And um, kind of the you know, and JR will still stay active in that. But, um, but yeah, so I'm currently on the Natural Resource Commission. I was appointed this year by our chair, Vicki Ponce, to the uh, Wildlife and Fisheries Committee mm-hmm. and also the State Parks Advisory Committee. Okay. So I'm real excited about that. And, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. It's um, We have some very challenging issues on the horizon to tackle, but um, um, I'm looking forward to interacting with hunters and anglers to see how these decisions impact them and then relying on our biologists at the DNR to make informed decisions. Sure. Would you say that the hunting and fishing that the UP has to offer is really kind of what you love most about about the UP? Or I, I guess it's certainly a big part of why we wanted to move back here. Um, okay. Me and Tracy both. Um, you know, I like to trout fish. I like to deer hunt. Yeah. Uh, I like to bird hunt. Um, you know, I like to ice fish in the winter time, of course. Um, and um, I went trapping for the first time with my buddy Matt a couple of years ago. We had a beaver problem on the property in Scandia. <laughs> Matt go. and Joe came out and set some beaver traps and <laughs> taught me a little bit of learn the ropes on that a little bit. So yeah, I really do. I, I think I think um, you know hunters and anglers pay for conservation, and I think it's a real it's a real uh, important responsibility that hunters and anglers. Uh, are proud to have, um, but you know it. Um, 
it, it um, you know, the North American model for wildlife conservation, not just in Michigan but North America, really makes sure that the license fees that hunters and anglers are paying um, is a benefit of that resource is going right back into habitats, going back right. to sound wild, wildlife management decisions. And that's really what, to me, conservation is all about. It's all about wise uses of our natural resources, making smart decisions informed by science, and to have uh, one of seven seats on the Natural Resources Commission to help make those decisions is really, I mean, I, I can't, I quite, quite frankly, I can't believe I'm, I have that opportunity, but I take it very seriously. And, Good. And um, I'm glad to be there. Yeah. Well, I have one last question for you, which you've listened to every podcast episode, so you know what that question is, and that's how do you how do you like your pasty? <laughs> ketchup, man. Ketchup, ketchup and pepper. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm a straight ketchup. I, I'm always anxious to hear how people phrase this. Maybe some hot sauce. Okay. <laughs> I'm a hot sauce guy. All right. But um, yeah, um, you know my my um, my grandmother, my my grandpa Lloyd's. Um, wife Adeline growing up on um, his um, she was she was from the Calumet area and she's Cornish so she had a very specific way of okay. making pasties flank steak sure. and uh, rutabaga and um, so I'm, I'm a little bit picky when it comes to the crust of course and the way yeah. that the, the, sure. the lard um, but yeah if I'm getting a pasty <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much just ketchup sure all right well I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and also for being a big supporter. Um, one quick story to kind of wrap things up here. When I kind of had first got the podcast first going, I'd gotten a very encouraging email from you that I really, really appreciated. And even more awesome about that was it had connected you and Gina Walmer on that email. I think it was after our episode, and there was a lot of healthy, positive discussion about exciting stuff going on down in Iron Mountain. That's right. That's right. So shout out to Gina there. But I'm going to go see Gina tomorrow with a big group of people in Iron Mountain. We've got we're working on a project together. So. There you go. So maybe you know I don't know if the podcast was that bridge, but I just think it's awesome. You know that you guys connected, and like I said, I really appreciated that email. But once again, thank you for sitting down with me and coming on the podcast. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing, and thanks for doing the podcast. I think it's a real big asset to people in the UP, people that live here, but also people that want to tune in and see what's going on back home and listen to some interesting stories. And, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting Gina. We've communicated over phone and email uh, since that time, since I heard her on your podcast. And sure. I'm real encouraged by the cool work she's doing in Iron Mountain. And, yeah, that's what it's all about. So keep, keep it up. I absolutely will. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Okay, it's time for the takeaways from my chat with Dave. Uh, the first one is, is every time I have a chance to talk with him, I always end up walking away from the conversation feeling really positive about the, the community and feeling really motivated to get out there and step up and help out uh, to make my community a better place. And I think that's really just a testament to Dave because he's not just talking the talk. He's really out there walking the walk. And uh, he's doing it in a really respectable way um, that I, I really admire. Um, and, it, you know, I think that's just a testament to his story. I mean, working for the Speaker of how the House in the state of Michigan at such a young age and eventually running an office for our governor, that doesn't happen, you know, just by, by some off chance. Uh, it happened because he stepped up and he got involved and he gets stuff done. So, um, you know, I think a lot of communities across the, the Upper Peninsula could, could use a lot more Dave Nybergs. 
Uh, I wish there were a lot more in this world. So if, if you feel like you're one of those types of people, then uh, roll up your sleeves, get out there, and continue to work hard to make your community a better place. Um, the other kind of part of that with his story is over the years, he really developed a great network of mentors and connections. And that's my second takeaway, obviously, is the network of friends and connections that you build is so vitally important, especially from a career standpoint. You know, obviously you need to be good at what you do and you need to continue to grow as a person and and hone your skills, so to speak. But there's so many times where the connections that you make will end up at the very least kind of getting your foot in the door or maybe will present an opportunity to you that you wouldn't have normally had. So that's going to be my challenge for you all this week. If there's any sort of networking opportunities out there in your community, I want you to get out there and go to them and meet somebody new. Shake a hand and say hello and grow your network. Because you just never know where it might lead you. Chat It Up is a bi-weekly podcast about all things Upper Peninsula of Michigan. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave me a review. You can also find Chatted Up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to keep your chin up and your eyes forward.